Uh, would you join me in, uh, in saying this prayer today? And I, I would like to ask you, actually, if you would, you know, when we pray this, we recite this prayer, um, my, my hope for us is that it's more than just a prayer that we recite, that we, that we think about the words that we're saying, if, you, if you're saying this. And of course, you know, it's like the Pledge of Allegiance or whatever. You have the right to not say it. Nobody has to say it here. Um, but I, uh, I, I mean, you do, right? So, uh, but, but if, if you say it, I pray that it's more than just something that you say, words that you say. But I, but I, I want you to also see it as something that we're praying for all of us. Like, this is a, a prayer for our church. So, so if you would, um, you don't have to, like, put your hands all over somebody because, you know, somebody may be sitting next to you, somebody you don't know or whatever. But if you would just kind of extend your hands like this as if you're, like, you're praying over the whole church. You know, it's not just pastors who do this. It's not just the, uh, you know... The big statue in, in, in Rio de Janeiro that, that does this. I mean, this is like, this is all, this is our church, right? So, so let's just kind of extend our hands like this as if we are praying, because we are, as if we are praying this prayer over our church, over each other, okay? And let's, let's say this prayer together. O Lord, our God, we have gathered in your most holy name that we might drink together from the water of life. We come to praise you, for you are Lord of all creation, to enjoy you, for you are our Heavenly Father. To learn from you, for you are our wonderful Counselor. And to serve you, for you are our Almighty King. Open up the floodgates of heaven, Lord. Let the river of life flow through this great city as we seek to love our neighbors as you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we continue today with our series called I Love My Church. And so far in this series, we've talked about worship, uh, fellowship, discipleship, and ministry. Today, we get to talk about the fifth element of church that must be strong for us if we are going to be the church that Christ has called us to be. And this one is probably the most misunderstood of all the elements that we've talked about. It's also probably the one that people avoid doing or talking about the most. And I'm talking about evangelism. Today we are talking about how we grow larger through evangelism. What is evangelism? Are Christians supposed to do evangelism and why? What is Trinity Church's approach to evangelism? Now in this sermon time, we have been defining what worship means to us, what fellowship means, discipleship ministry, and now today, evangelism. I do want to ask you... You know, I really appreciate, I heard, you know, people worshiping over here. I, Wes mentioned that, you know, pastors, we stand up here and we just talk and nobody answers back to us. And probably for a lot of churches, that's normal. Like, you don't expect anybody to talk to, you know, I don't expect it, but that doesn't mean it shouldn't happen. So if anything ever comes up and you're like, whoa, 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 don't feel like you're like breaking some huge, like, I don't know, religious barrier and God's going to strike you dead. Uh, you can question me. But if you don't want to do it now, if you want to question me later, if you want to join the conversation later, there are other ways to do it. That is my phone number. If something comes up during this time today that you think, like, I have a question about that, I want to talk about that further, I don't agree with you, I want to push back on that a little bit, I think maybe we need to think about this, let's talk about this some more, whatever, you can communicate with me that way. Um, and then we also are on Twitter, and we're also on Facebook. Um, there's different, there are different ways that we can communicate. But I do want to encourage you, communicate. Um, let, don't let this sermon time just be like a one-way thing, but let's keep the conversation going. Let's keep 
the discussion moving. Now, evangelism, which is the practice of evangelizing, comes from the Greek word called... No, that's... It's... Iwahelion. Iwahelion. That word evangelism comes from Iwahelion. Um, and that word, of course, means good news. There's another similar word that we hear often called the gospel, and that is an old English word that also means good news. Literally, God or good, spell, which means well, word, news, or story. So good news or good story. So these are two words that have become synonymous with what it means to be a Christian. Gospel and evangelism. And with good reason, because the word iwahelion in the Greek in the New Testament is seen about 50 times throughout Jesus' teaching and then after. Several times we are told that Jesus went to different towns and preached the iwahelion, the good news. Jesus tells his disciples to go into all the world and preach the iwahelion, good news. Paul tells us in the letter to the Romans that he is not ashamed of the Iwahelion, the good news, the gospel. Evangelism is all over the New Testament from Jesus on, but I will bet you that just like with a lot of Christian-y words, the word evangelism doesn't mean the same thing to everyone. In fact, I want you to take a moment, turn to somebody next to you, maybe somebody that you don't know, and just share honestly, okay? Don't try to be like, I'm not going to listen into your conversations, I don't care, there's no right or wrong answer. Turn to somebody next to you. When you hear the word evangelism, what images, what pictures, what feelings pop into your head? Go ahead and just talk, talk to each other about that right now. When you hear the word evangelism. If anybody is maybe brave enough, I don't know, or maybe maybe just uh, wanting to share, can I can I get like two or three people to share? What what is something that come pops to your mind when you think of the word evangelism? But it's gonna be right right over here. So we'll start with Jim and then Karen. Uh, I see it as the TV guys, uh, you know, the guys that are out there looking for the big money and stuff like that. We, we call them television evangelists, right? Yeah. Yep. Fancy suit, crazy hair. Yep. Karen? Oh, I just picture the guys on the corner with the bullhorns. Yeah. Guy on the corner with the bullhorn. Any, one more? Maybe a different picture from those two? Megan? Uh, I don't know. I just think of like our, when our church like went out for like the park, the church service, at the park. church at the park thing, or like, or like our Bible study group go out and witness to like people or to our non-Christian friends or something. Yeah. yeah. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing uh, your, your thoughts. And we got a variety of them, right? Evangelism comes from the word iwahelion, which means good news. The gospel is good news, but not everyone perceives that it is good news. There is a great need in our world today for good news, for peace, for hope, for some joy, for true, genuine goodness. 
Isn't there? And the good news about the good news is that it is good news for everyone, not just a select few. There are four things that we're going to learn about evangelism today, things that, that I have learned over the past few weeks as I've been preparing to share with you. We're going to learn four things. First of all, we're going to learn what it is not, what, is it, what evangelism is not. Then we're going to talk about what evangelism is. We're going to talk about why it is a must for every Christian. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the how, the approach. First, let's take a look at what evangelism is not. Now, there is a traditional view of what evangelism is supposed to look like. And rather than just tell you what it is with words, I would like you to turn to your little handout that you got today. And I want to show you with a picture. The thing is, you're going to draw the picture, and you're going to customize this picture for yourself. Yes, you get to draw pictures in church. Isn't this what... I, 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 grew, I grew up going to church, and so I did this a lot, going to church. Like, yeah, I'm listening, sure. I'm taking notes. Um, I got this idea from an author named Carl Medeiros, who wrote this book called Speaking of Jesus, The Art of Unevangelism. Uh, he, Carl, has worked in, uh, especially in predominantly Muslim countries, and this book that he wrote just really blew me away. But I want to share with you this activity. So if, if you would, just indulge me and uh, come, come along with me on this little picture journey. But if not, that's fine. I have it up on the screen, too. So what you're going to do is, in the first square where it says, what evangelism is not, draw a circle. Don't make it too big. Um, leave some space outside the circle. Don't fill up the box. But just draw a circle inside that box. Okay? Uh, by the way, everybody should have a pencil if you didn't get one, if you don't already have a pen. Hopefully everybody got a pencil. All right. So draw a circle in the box, not too big, leave some space on the outside. Now, inside the, inside the circle, make a bunch of dots. Inside the circle, make a bunch of dots. Just spread the dots all around. Dot, 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 dot. Now, same thing, outside the circle. Bunch of dots, dot, 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 dot. Bunch of dots. Now, before you do anything else, let me explain a little bit about this picture so far, okay? The circle represents what we would call Christendom or Christianity as a religion, as a culture, as a group that you're either a part of or you are not. That's what the circle represents, right? So everyone in the circle is in the Christian circle, and everyone out of the Christian circle is out of the Christian circle. Now, I want you to label the dots with names, so I want you to label, put some, no, don't, nobody's going to see this, right? Don't, don't worry about, like, somebody's going to, you know, judge your answers or whatever. It's not a test. But people who you think are in that Christianity circle, you think they're part of that circle, go ahead and write some names next to some dots. And then I want you to do the same thing with the dots outside of the Christianity circle. Write some names next to the people that you think are outside of Christianity, outside of the circle. And the last thing I want you to do as you're doing that, writing some names, I want you to put your own name next to a dot, either inside or outside the circle. Where do you see yourself? And if you're not writing, that's okay. I want you to just imagine with me, where do you see yourself? Where in this circle perceive that you are. Don't worry about it. Don't think too hard. If there's only one name in and one name out, that's fine. You get the idea. 
See, maybe even though you are in the circle, you see yourself on the fringes, just barely in the circle. Or maybe you see yourself as out of the circle, but so close. Maybe you are outside the circle and you're way, way, way far away at the back. And maybe you feel like you are so close to the center of the circle that you have no interaction whatsoever with anyone outside of the circle. See, depending on where you see yourself, it has implications, right? And so I wanted this to be an honest activity for you personally. Not only where do you see other people that you know, but where do you find yourself? Now, when it comes to evangelism, telling the good news of Jesus Christ, what could be wrong with this picture? I mean, it seems like pretty much what most people understand of evangelism. You have insiders and you have outsiders. You have the Christians and you have the non-Christians. You have the believers and the non-believers. You have the churched and the unchurched. So with this picture, what is evangelism? Evangelism is getting the outsiders to come inside, to become insiders, to join our team, to become one of us, to be with this crowd now. You were with that crowd, now you're becoming one of us. And you might say, yeah, and we love this team. This team is great. In fact, we think this team is the best team. The team to end all teams. This team, well, in the end, this team is going to beat all the other teams, and then you'll finally know that we're the best team. So if you don't join this team by the end, then you're going to be on the other team, and you're going to see that we're better than you. And you're going to lose, and we're going to win. Team Jesus. Think about it. Does this work with, the reg- like with regular teams that we have, like sports? Now, today, of all days, I could certainly not convince anyone to be a Dodger fan after their pathetic loss last night. They got bounced from the playoffs. But no, imagine. Somebody is a San Francisco Giants fan. I am not going to convince them to become a Dodgers fan. They're Giants fans. Well, what if they could see that we've got nice colors? Blue and and white. Dodgers Stadium, blue heaven on earth. Vin Scully, the legendary announcer, he's been with us for decades. Don't you want to join our team? Don't you see how much better we are than you? And a Giants fan will say, no. And the same goes for Dodgers fans becoming Giants fans. Don't even think about it. But doesn't it sound ridiculous when you think about it that way? So why do we treat evangelism as a way to win people over to Team Christian? If evangelism means giving someone the good news, the gospel, then where is the good news in saying, your team stinks, ours is the best, join us or die? Does that sound like good news to you? It does not sound like good news to me. This picture of evangelism, the way it has looked for centuries, cannot be the totality of what Jesus had in mind when he sent out his disciples into all the earth. In fact, as we're going to see in just a bit, Jesus gives us an entirely new way of thinking about and doing this work of evangelism, offering good news. Now, I I want to recognize, have people begun vibrant and personal relationships with Jesus Christ through traditional ways of evangelism? Yes. Have people learned more deeply about what it means to live as a disciple of Christ by practicing traditional ways of evangelism? Yes. But here's the thing. The transformation in someone's life was not caused by communicating the correct theology or doctrine. It's not about correct theology or doctrine. It's not the pastor or the preacher or the evangelist who was at the center of that transformation. As if it was their amazing communication skills that changed a life. 
It's not the introduction into this culture of Christianity, this circle where everyone knows the songs and the cliches and the Bible verses that changes someone's life. So what is it? What is it that makes the difference? What is the difference? See, evangelism means giving good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. So what is a picture of evangelism that looks like good news? We're going to do the second part to this demonstration picture activity on the second box on your page. Now I want you to make a different picture, okay? What evangelism is under that, under that part. So right in the center of the box, please write Jesus. Just write the name Jesus. And then all around that name, dot, 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 everywhere. Surround the name with dots. And then wherever it makes sense for you, wherever it makes sense for you, put your name. Where do you see yourself? Thoughts all around Jesus. And somewhere on that spectrum, you write your own name. Now, what is the difference between these two pictures? Do you see it? In the first picture, I ask you this. In the first picture, in the first illustration, what is in the center? What's in the center in that first picture? The circle. The Christian circle, right? That's what's in the center of the first picture. And everyone in the circle, right? So everyone who subscribes to Christianity as a religion is in the circle. Did you know that Jesus never asked or called anyone to... Subscribe to Christianity. That's not in anything that Jesus said. When he called people, he didn't say, hey, come join my religion. Hey, come subscribe to Christianity. I know you don't know what that is yet. It's named after me. He, didn't, he never did that. You know, the crazy thing about the circle is that often even those who are supposed to be in the circle can't agree on who really is supposed to be in the circle. You have any addictions or bad habits? Did you vote for this candidate or that candidate? Oh, you cannot possibly be. No. No, you cannot possibly be a Christian. Do you agree with this theology? No? Oh, no. Not in the circle. Do you support this type of people or not? Oh, no, no. You don't. We can't even agree on who's supposed to be in the circle. So when you evangelize from that picture, from that first picture, what happens? It becomes all about... The people who are, oh, we are so in the picture. Obviously, I mean, come on. Like, it's me. I'm, so, I'm, like, I'm so in the picture. Like, it's not even funny. Convincing those not in the circle and why they need to be in the circle. The difference between the first picture and the second picture is, is really at the heart of the good news. See, the good news is that, one, there is no, there is no circle. So the circle people are not at the center we are not at the center. The Christian circle people, we are not the center of this. In other words, we don't make the decisions. We are not the point. The good news is that there is no circle, and so we are not at the center, and that Jesus, not everyone in the imaginary circle, that Jesus is the one who is at the center. 
Jesus is at the center of the good news. And in this new picture, we see that everyone is on some kind of journey in relationship to the center, Jesus. Our journey is not toward a specific political party. Our journey is not toward supporting a specific amendment. Our journey is not toward a certain theology. Our journey is not toward a belief that this or that is wrong or should be condemned. Our journey is not toward adhering to a religion or rituals or moralistic living. In short, we are on a journey to the good news, and the good news is Jesus. Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the gospel. The good news is Jesus. But Christians, many of us who are in the Christian circle, we want to keep creating that circle, don't we? For some of us, we like to create that circle because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Yes, I know I'm in and I know you're out. That's what separates us. For others, we create this circle in our mind because we perceive that we're outside of it. Yeah, there's this, this thing, Christian culture, this bubble that I could never get into because I don't know the songs or I don't know the Bible verses or I don't know when to stand up and sit down and when to eat and when to do them. I just I'm just here. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just figuring this out. I'm not in the circle. I don't get it. I come here to church and I just I fall asleep. I can't do it. I come here to church and I feel like I have to be fake. Everything's just kind of, oh, hi, how are you? Yeah, yeah, whatever. I don't fit in the circle. But see, Jesus is actually at the center, not this religious circle that's named after him. That is the good news. Now let's talk a little bit more about why. That's good news. There are so many stories of people having encounters with Jesus in the Bible, but we're going to focus on one today found in Luke 7. It's the story of Jesus being anointed by a sinful woman. What actually, I realize. Okay, lesson, everybody. Don't ever get up to preach and then forget to bring your Bible with you. <laughs> oh, it's on the handout too, right? Well, it's only parts of it though. So I'm gonna read. The, I'm gonna read the whole story to you though. So the parts that you have on your handout are just the snippets that I wanted you to kind of highlight or focus on. But we're gonna read the whole story, part by part. So Luke seven thirty six through thirty seven. Let's read those first two verses first of the story. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. This is something that they did. This was, Jesus was not being rude. He's not lazy. They had tables, and then the, the, the chairs were not just like chairs where everybody sat, but they were more kind of like couches, and everybody would kind of recline like this at the table, and they would kind of eat like this. So that's why I said Jesus reclined at the table. He was a guest at this person's house. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town... Learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. She showed up at the party. Now, I appreciate that as hard as Jesus often was on the religious people of that day, he still loved them. I mean, he he spent time with them, he ate with them. But in the middle of this dinner, (coughs) Jesus meets a different kind of person. A woman, it says that everyone knew, lived a sinful life. Now, I'm not going to ask for anyone to raise their hands to tell me if you can relate with this woman. Think about it. How many of us can relate with this woman? Maybe you are not a woman, 
Maybe your sin is not known to a whole town. But how many of you have ever felt like your sin defines you? You are that sinful person. But look at how this sinful woman approaches Jesus and how Jesus responds to her. Starting with verse 38. And as she stood behind him, Jesus, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. I want you to just stop and think. Imagine yourself as a guest at this dinner party with Jesus. Do you think you'd feel a little awkward? You're sitting there at dinner with Jesus and all of a sudden a woman... (laughs) what is going on what is okay first of all how did she even get in here like aren't there doors i mean don't don't we have like somebody's letting people in first of all how did she get in but second of all what in the flippity biff is going on here i mean what the actual heck and simon the pharisee the one who invited her over sitting there silently judging jesus yeah if he were actually a prophet he would know touching that. I mean, seriously. I mean, doesn't he know? She's not in the circle. She, I mean, she is so far out of the circle. It should be illegal. Oh, she is. Oh, oh, is she? Oh, is she doing? Oh, oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, oh, I can't. I never. I have never. Imagine if they had paparazzi in these days. Boom, boom, boom. TMZ. Hey, we caught up with Jesus today. Yeah, he was uh, hanging out with this sinful woman. Oh, yeah? What did he do? Yeah, he was, uh, he was sitting there, and she, like, uh, cried on his feet, and she, like, totally poured perfume on his legs. Oh, yeah, really? That's so funny. That's great. Well, what else? Jesus, what are you doing? What is she doing? Why are you letting her do it? This is weird. So awkward. But Jesus, see, Jesus knew exactly who she was. He knew exactly who she was. That's why he didn't kick her out, and that's why he didn't mistreat her. Simon, the self-righteous leader, wanted to label her. He wanted Jesus to do the same. And this is how the story continues. Jesus answered him, Simon... I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender, and one owed him 500 denarii, let's just say that's dollars, and the other owed him 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both of them. Now, which of them will love the moneylender more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt that was canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, which was a thing that you were supposed to do back then because you walked around with sandals and your feet got all dirty. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. Again, this was customary. 
we don't often, we don't, I love you, Jim, but I, when I see you, I don't give you a big kiss. But in those days, it was customary for them to show their little thing on it. That was their sign of welcome. And Jesus says, you, you didn't give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put, even put oil on my head to kind of freshen up. That's what they did to kind of freshen up when they came in from their journey. You didn't even put oil on my head, but she's poured oil on my feet. You know, I love it. He didn't even have to tell Simon that he knew what he was thinking, because Jesus has this way of, like, knowing what people are thinking. He didn't even have to say, I know what you're thinking. He just said, hey, Simon, let me tell you a little story. Let me tell you a little story about two people who had debts forgiven. And, and all at once, Jesus calls out Simon for being self-righteous, and he praises the woman for her great love and humility. I mean, not only was Simon acting arrogantly, but Jesus calls him out. He wasn't even a great host. He wasn't even that good of a host for Jesus. And what was the response from this woman who knew that she had been forgiven much, who knew that her sins were great, and that Jesus was there in compassion and grace? Her response was extravagant, humble love. And this is what Jesus goes on to say in verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. For she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? Who does this guy think he is? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, this is probably the most scandalous thing of all. Not only did Jesus let this woman touch him, but he let her kiss his feet and wipe them with her hair. Not only did he praise her for doing this, but he called out Simon for harshly judging her. And now he is actually forgiving her sins because of her act of love. Now, we don't know what she did. We don't know what her sinful life was. What's the worst thing you can think of? Selling her baby for drugs? I don't know. Prostituting herself? I mean, what, think, what's the worst thing you can think of that she did, that she could have done, that anybody could do today? She lived a sinful life. What are the things that the church tends to label and say, that's a sinful life, that's a sinful lifestyle, that's a sinful thing that you do, that's a sinful thing that you did, that's a sinful habit. Whatever the thing is that we, the worst possible thing you can think of. And Jesus is telling her, forgiven. I don't hold anything against you, and neither does God. Have you ever been forgiven? Have you ever had something forgiven? You? I mean, really? Do you know the, the feeling? Do you know the feeling of having a weight lifted off of your chest? Do you know the feeling of having a weight lifted off of your heart? Of knowing that God is not angry at you? Have you ever experienced that? Now, if you have, then you, like this woman, can say, Jesus, 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 I come before you right on your knees and just say, Jesus, I know the things that I have done. I know my past, some of those things I try to put out of my mind. And I know you know the things that I've done. Jesus. 
you can see why this woman would have this reaction, right? When you know the depth of your sin and you stand before a loving and compassionate Savior, what other response is there than to just... But see, if you don't know that feeling, if you feel like, yeah, I'm pretty good, and I've always been pretty good, I don't really need forgiveness. I'm, what? The person who has been forgiven much loves much. The person who has been forgiven little, why? What? Aren't you glad that it's Jesus at the center and not people like Simon? Not people like us. Because we can be awful sometimes, can't we? Judgmental. So quick to label. So quick to condemn. Aren't you glad that Jesus is the one doing the judging and forgiving and not self-righteous people like, well, me? Now, what's interesting about most of these encounters that you read in the Bible with Jesus is that we never, we often don't find out what happens with these people after the story of their encounter with Jesus. We don't know. For many of them, their journey toward Jesus took a tremendous turn for the better, but we don't know where it went from there, and it's not our job to judge where it went from there. It's our preconceived idea, it's our assumption as Christians that, oh, they encountered Jesus and they must have lived the rest of their life as saints. But we don't know that. We don't know whether or not this perfume lady went back to her promiscuous life or not. It sure looks like she probably went on a different path, but we just don't know. How many of you who have encountered Jesus Christ, how many of you have had absolutely no bumps in the road, no moments that you've been ashamed of, no places where you've wondered, am I really in the circle? How many of you have, have has had a perfect road since the time that you encountered Jesus? Anybody? Of course not. Of course not. It doesn't work that way. Or how many of you have ever questioned or had someone else question you? Are you really in the circle? I mean, you did that? You support them? You did what? You, you still addicted to that? Are you even in the circle? See, the self-righteous want to keep creating that circle, and they couldn't believe it when Jesus, who they thought had created the circle, was associating with someone who was clearly outside the circle. But you know what? Jesus not only didn't create that circle, he destroyed the circle that had been created in his name. He destroyed it. When Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was tortured and crucified for us, he didn't just die for my individual sins. The times I lied, the times I looked at porn, my outbursts of rage... He died to destroy the very thing that keeps us away from God. He died to destroy the circle that so many of us believe we are not good enough for. He died to destroy the circle that the self-righteous believe that they could earn their way into. And he rose again to show us that there never need be a reason to go back to living in that circle again. Or outside of it. Because the circle has been destroyed we need only live in unified relationship with God because he lives, because not even death could hold him back. Amen? And as we see in this encounter of Jesus and the sinful woman, you can come to Jesus exactly as you are. Do you hear me today, my friends? You can come to Jesus 
exactly the way that you are. I have a friend, <clears throat> his, his language is not always polished. And I can relate to this myself. But my friend shared his language is not always polished, but he so consciously, when he's around church people, has to hold his tongue, and he feels so fake doing it. And so he feels because of that that he can't come into church and be real. Now, I'm not telling you to come into this place and just freely, just liberally drop the F-bomb wherever you want. That's not what I'm saying, okay? Um, and not because anyone's ears are going to start bleeding or God's going to strike you, but because, you know, I think those of us who have trouble with our words sometimes, we know that we need to learn some better vocabulary, right? And anybody else relate with me? Am I the only one who has trouble with my words sometimes? I guess I'm the only one. <laughs> I'm out of the circle. You're out of here. You can come to Jesus exactly as you are. Sinful. Whether it's you know you're sinful or whether somebody has just told you that you're sinful your whole life because you have these feelings or these tendencies or these things or this lifestyle and they keep pointing at you, right? Sinful, repentant, broken, outcast, angry, doubtful, hopeless, lonely, curious desperate, suicidal, you can come to Jesus as you are. Where are you today? Do you know there is no circle? Do you know that there is just Jesus? And every one of us is somehow moving toward him from some place. Will you take a step toward him today? So all this is great. Great, I set this whole stage of what the good news really looks like, right? And it's good news for those of us who are hearing. And, and like I said, if you've ever been forgiven a great debt, then you know. But here's the question. Do Christians really have to go tell other people about Jesus? I mean, we don't want to be annoying. If someone asks, maybe we'll tell them. If I happen to be talking to someone and they bring up God, maybe I'll tell them that I, I go to church. That's basically evangelizing, right? Kind of the same, basically the same thing. <clears throat> now, today in this place, for those of you who are not followers of Jesus Christ, notice I did not say Christian because that's a loaded word. If you are here today and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, or if you can remember a time when you were not a follower of Jesus Christ... How does it feel when someone tries to evangelize you? Or if you can remember when you were not a Christian, how did it feel when someone tried to evangelize you? What thoughts go through your head? Did you like it? Did it feel good? Yeah, do that again, please. Yeah, continue telling me why I'm wrong and you're right. Yes, please. Did you, did you enjoy that? Uh, Carl Medeiros, the person that I mentioned before who wrote this book, <clears throat> about unevangelism, a new way of thinking about evangelism. He tells this story of a time he was having coffee with a friend who was not a follower of Jesus, and they were actually in the middle of a conversation about Jesus, when all of a sudden, outside, they see a man dragging a big cross, shouting through a bullhorn, Sinners! Perverts! Repent! Now, Carl runs out to the man, and he says, Hey, listen, listen, I, 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 agree. I believe in sharing the gospel too, but I, I, I don't think what you're doing is effective. And as he's talking the guy just starts shouting Bible verses back in his face. 
And before either of them realizes what's happening, some totally unrelated person runs up and just clocks the guy right in the face. Knocks him right on his butt. And as the man gets himself up and he drags his cross away with his bullhorn, he yells back to Carl. He says, hey, if you're not being persecuted, you're doing something wrong. Now, I am not condoning punching people in the face just because you don't like what they say. Otherwise, our presidential debates would probably just be one long cage match. But I have to wonder, was this guy being persecuted for speaking the truth, the gospel, or was he being punched in the face for coming off like a jerk? Legitimate question, don't you think? See, the circle mentality usually means that the motivation for what we do and what we say is fear. The circle mentality means that the motivation is fear. All you perverts and sinners, get in the circle. Get in the circle now. How do you know you're not going to die today, you sinners and perverts? You don't want to die not being in the circle, do you? Get in here now. Fear. The circle mentality uses fear as the motivation. Now, having been someone myself who used to live in the circle mentality, I know that the motivation is fear. And it's not even mostly fear for the other person's life. It's actually mostly fear for myself. If I don't tell them and come on really strong, God's going to be mad at me. I will be in trouble with God if I don't tell them. The motivation is fear. If you are a Christian, then you will know what I'm talking about. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, if you've ever been in a situation where you felt like you should tell someone about Jesus, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe it's a family member or a coworker, a neighbor. The opportunity arises. Your hands start to get clammy. You suddenly have to cough or sneeze or go pee. You, <clears throat> you clear your throat. Uh, yeah, here's your big moment. Don't blow it. Don't blow it. You're blowing it. You're missing your chance. There it goes. Oh, you, you didn't say it. Yeah, maybe you said God bless you when you left, but you didn't talk about Jesus. And now that person might go to hell, and God's probably in his head, shaking his head, in heaven, like, seriously? You ruined it. You blew it. I mean, having that mentality, it's no wonder that we don't often eagerly await those opportunities. Who wants to live in constant fear and anxiety? I don't. So what's the alternative? What is the difference if we live with Jesus at the center instead of the Christian circle at the center? See, when the Christian circle is at the center, it becomes all about us. When Jesus is at the center, it's all about Jesus. And Jesus is beautiful. Jesus is attractive. Jesus is compelling. You know, my wife and I, we love to talk about our kids. Our kids drive us absolutely crazy sometimes. Sometimes it is all-out war just over finishing their dinner. I see Janine nodding her head like, yup. But when they're finally asleep, and my wife and I have a few minutes to ourselves, guess what topic occupies much of our conversation? Our kids. Why? We just got them. They're finally quiet. We finally get a date night. Eating without hearing screaming or feeding anyone else or having to utter, utter the words, please don't put your pants, hands in your pants while you're eating. But we still 
find our conversation going back to those little rascals. Why? No one has to remind us that we have kids. We just do it. Why? Why? Because we love our kids. They are precious to us. They are hilarious. Even the things they do that frustrate us, even those things become topics for our conversations. With Jesus, those of you who know Jesus, who have encountered Jesus, why do we talk about him? Why must we talk about him? Because he's Jesus. There's no one like him. Even someone like Mahatma Gandhi once said, if all Christians acted like Christ, the whole world would be Christian. Why? Because Christianity is the best team? The best religion? No, because there's something about this Jesus Christ. See, we don't have to make Jesus Christ attractive. He already is attractive. We don't have to portray him as wonderful. He is already wonderful. We don't have to present Jesus as compelling. Jesus is compelling. So if the motivation for the circle mentality is fear, then I would say the motivation for the Jesus approach is a motivation of love. Motivation of love for Jesus. And a knowledge that Jesus loves us. We evangelize. We share the good news because we have been loved. And so we love in return. And we love those we encounter with the love of Jesus Christ. If evangelism doesn't sound like love and it doesn't sound like good news, then it probably is not. It should sound like Jesus. It should sound like love. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. There is no fear in perfect love. Because fear has to do with punishment. And in perfect love, there is no fear. Yes, yes, I, I know. Jesus went around saying, repent. But you don't see Jesus saying, repent, all you perverts. God hates you, holding up a big sign with offensive words on it. He said, repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom is near because the king is here. It's him. It's Jesus. God has come close. God has moved into the neighborhood. God so loved the world, Jesus says, that he gave, well, me, Jesus. But Johnny, you might say, rightly, isn't this a life or death situation? Yes, John, 1 John 5.12 says that he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. But what is the life that he's talking about? A life of subscribing to a religion? A life of becoming fluent in Christianese? A life of sitting in church? That's the life that he's talking about when you have the Son? Whoever has the Son, whoever is in relationship with Jesus, whoever is on that journey with Jesus, from whatever point you started from. See, when the motivation is love and not fear, there is still a sense of urgency, but it's not a fear of punishment. It's a love for this beautiful and compelling Jesus and a love for people that says, this is what Jesus has done for me. I want you to know. Take a minute just with somebody next to you and just tell them something that you love to talk about. 
I ask you this because even those of you who are introverts, there are, there's probably like a topic. If you get somebody talking about this topic, then you can go on for quite a while. So just turn to somebody next to you and tell somebody, this is something that I love. Like I could talk about this for an hour, two hours, whatever, like you'd have to stop me. What is something you love to talk about? I'd love to hear from you. I'm not going to pass the microphone around, but if you could just, just kind of shout it out. What are some things that you love to talk about? Who said book, books right here? You got that from her, didn't you? Books. Okay, we have what's up to talk about. What else? Election. <laughs> so in other words, you like to argue, huh? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Food. Oh, right? I mean, come on. Food. Food is food. Call it food for a reason. What else? Family. Movies. Work. Family. Work. Okay. Shopping. Travel. Okay. Who said shopping? <laughs> you know, I have certain people in my life that I like to talk to about certain things. Fred, what do we like to talk about? Sports. Specifically? Yeah, he said it like the Dodgers. <laughs> Right? I have certain, Carlos, where's Carlos? Carlos and I love to talk about music, right? Oh, did you, we send, we, Carlos and I love to trade uh, videos back and forth with this guitarist or this band. Like, oh, check this out, right? I, you don't have to tell us to do that. It's just, hey, I want to share this with you. Hey, th- look at, check this band out, man. They are, they, man. Oh, did you see the Dodger game last night? I don't know exactly what eternity looks like with or without God. I, I have pictures that are given in scripture. And some of our ideas have kind of been hijacked by movies and cartoons and stuff like that. You know, the little, little cartoon floating with the angel and the, the wings and the harp on the, sitting on the cloud. Uh, I don't know if eternity without God really looks like little devils dancing around and poking you and things like that. I don't know. I've not, I've not been there. What I do know is that Jesus is wonderful. And I know that anyone that I love, anyone that I care about, I know that I don't want them to live without this wonderful Jesus here on this earth and in eternity. Can you imagine a reality, an eternity, without the beauty that is Jesus? I'm I'm convinced that there is beauty in Jesus that we don't even know is from Jesus. Speaking of music, when I hear a beautiful, whether it's like whatever, rock, classical, jazz, whatever, and I hear... Even if that person is like, I don't know, they, they hate you know, God or whatever, they, they, you know, words come out of their mouth, whatever. But when, when I see something as excellent or good, I'm like, God's in that. That person may not even know it, and they may hate the thought, but I see God in that. And, and see, I, I, can you imagine a reality, an eternity, where this beautiful Jesus and all that he brings is out of reach forever? Not fear, but love. I ask you today, do you know this Jesus? Christian, people, you who have been sitting in church for years, decades even, do you know this Jesus?
My friends who feel the urgency to evangelize, but you know you've been coming at it from a place of fear and not of love, do you know this Jesus? My friends today who identify as agnostic or atheist or you identify with a religion that seems to be opposed to Christianity somehow, has anyone ever told you about this Jesus? The Jesus that says, come follow me. I know that you're starting from there, wherever there is. Just come with me. The circle mentality motivated by fear says, I have to have all the answers. I can't show any weakness and I have to win this argument. But the Jesus approach motivated by love says, actually, I don't have to have all the answers. I I can be vulnerable. I don't have to win an argument. All I need to know is Jesus and what Jesus has done for me. So briefly, what does this look like for us at Trinity? We Christians, we must be about the work of telling the good news of this wonderful Jesus. But how do we do it? There are different methods of evangelism. I'm actually not here to tell you why one method is better than the other one. I think there are some approaches that do probably more harm than good. But as I've said, it's the motivation and who is at the center that makes the difference, right? Many churches will teach their congregants to go to the street corners, like you said, Karen, right, with the bullhorns and the signs. Maybe go to crowded places, hand out tracts, hand out booklets, right? <clears throat> the Gideons, right, they stand outside the schools, and they hand out Bibles, they go to the hotels, they put them in the, 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 they're at the nightstands. College camp, campus ministries, like crew and InterVarsity, right? You've got tables set up out there on the walkways where the, kids, the students walk by. You engage people in conversation. You have a whiteboard and ask them a question, and people write their answers there on the, on the thing. Different ways of evangelism. There is an approach, though, where we at Trinity have chosen to focus our efforts. And since we're on the topic of evangelism, we will call this neighborhood evangelism. Neighborhood evangelism. Our friend, Matt Swida, who comes to us uh, to, to give us training through Fiducia, he calls it neighbor hubs. And this approach asks the question, what if we started, <clears throat> what if we started with the people who live just a mere steps away from us? who sleep and eat and live their lives just a few feet away from us? What if we started with those people? What if we became so invested <coughs> so invested in the places where we live or work? What if we become so invested in the places where we already spend time that the people there become the recipients of the good news? I mean, every one of us lives somewhere. For those of you who are not followers of Jesus Christ, um, I know that this is, you know, this sounds like, well, you know, you're sending out a bunch of people to, like, bother their neighbors. You don't, it's not a door-to-door thing. It's a friendship thing. I mean, everyone lives somewhere, right? So, so those of you who are Christians, those of you who are followers of Jesus, did you ever consider that there's a missionary living in your neighborhood and that it could be you? And that maybe even you're not the only one. Maybe there are actually many of you. See, the reason that we believe in this model, even though it is challenging, is this. The goal of evangelism is not evangelism. Please hear me well. The goal of evangelism is not evangelism. What I mean is that evangelism is not the end goal. The goal is not that we make sure to tell people so we can pat ourselves on the back and feel good and then because we told somebody. The goal of neighborhood evangelism is to build relationships and trust so that we have the opportunity to show our neighbors through our actions, through our words, through the way that we treat our families, What is so wonderful about this Jesus that we know? What is so wonderful about Jesus? The goal of evangelism is discipleship, and the goal of discipleship is eternity. The goal of evangelism, why do we tell people the good news? So that we have the opportunity to continue journeying with them. 
And the point of the journey is to reach eternity with this Jesus Christ. It is not my job or your job to get people into heaven. And I know many evangelists will say that. We just got to get them into heaven. Get them into heaven. Just get them in. Doesn't matter how. You just get them in. It is not my job to get them into heaven. I don't get anybody into heaven. I'm to break it to you. I'm not going to be standing at the gate or the opening or the entrance or whatever saying, oh, yeah, you're on the list. That's not me. I don't even know what that's going to look like. Where people end up when they pass from this life to the next, that's between that person and God. But evangelism is introducing Jesus to people. Discipleship is walking with people as they journey closer to Jesus. And eternity, that's God's department. Now, it would be easy to think that what we're saying is we want you to make a bunch of projects out of your friends and your neighbors. How many of you like to be somebody else's project? All right, nobody does. That's not what we're asking, though, or what we're calling our church to do. This approach is simply getting us to think about what are the opportunities that exist around us. Now, some of you may be like, but I work so much. Okay, great, so you're spending all your time at work. Those are the relationships that you invest in. Students, you spend most of your days time at school, don't you? That's where it is. Those are your neighbors. The people who sit next to you in class, those are your neighbors. Don't limit yourself to just the place where you live, the place where you spend your time, the relationships that you invest in. Reaching your neighbors with the good news. So this approach is getting us to think about what are those opportunities that are already there in the places where we spend most of our time. Here's some ideas very quickly as we close. Do you have too much of something? Like uh, somebody gave you a big bag of fruit, you can't possibly finish it. Someone sends you an extra container of food home, leftovers, right? Uh, you got a gift card that you know you're never going to use. What about you surprise your neighbor with, a, with, with, with something? Just a kind gesture. Are you interested in doing some kind of recreational activity in your city? Joining a class? I, I know a really good dance teacher in Monterey Park. Um, and, and she teaches classes here at Monterey, at, at Trinity at MPCS and other places, right? Are you interested in signing your kids up for a class? There's your opportunity. Get to know people. Build friendships. Build relationships. Monterey Park has lots of classes and stuff. You don't, like, you don't naturally like talking to people? You're not a people person? All right, how about bringing your neighbor's trash cans in after trash day? Small and big ways that you can show somebody that, hey, you matter to me. Hey, you, you're, I, I see you. You're, you're, your life is valid. You like to bake or cook? What about you make a little extra cookies and take them to your neighbor for Christmas or Thanksgiving or something? Now, are you, are you worried people might... Somebody's like, yeah, right, I'm eating all those cookies myself. If you're worried that people might become suspicious of you, yeah, maybe they will. And if they ask you, what's your agenda, what's your angle, there's no need to give them a sermon. I just went through this whole explanation of the wonderful Jesus that we have the opportunity to know so that you could know there's no need to try to win them to your team. Don't resort to fear tactics. Just tell them who Jesus is to you what Jesus has done for you and why he causes you to do the uncommonly kind things that you find yourself doing. And whenever you're afraid or nervous, remember, when Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world and make disciples, he promised them, I'll be with you. Yeah, I'm sending you, but I'm also going with you. The Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit goes with us when we share the good news. 
And God's grace covers over those times when we kind of, you know, screw it up. So as we, as we conclude, I have a couple of action steps for you. First of all, in a couple of Sundays, uh, we're going to be kicking off our second round of what we call Canning Hunger. Um, this is a neighborhood canned food drive that we did a few months ago. Now, if you're thinking like canned food drives, people do it all the time, whatever, I don't really... The, 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 the main point is not really the canned food drive. That's important, and it really gets us to do something for people in our communities. But the other reason is that it also gets us to know our neighbors. It allows us an opportunity to talk to people that we may never actually talk to. And we'll explain more about what that is, but I, I want to encourage you. We had about 12 different households participate the first time around when we did it. I'd like to see at least double next time. I'd like to see around 25 different households participating in this activity. So 25 different neighborhoods that our church represents that are getting to know building relationships with their neighbors. It's actually very simple. And unless you already know your neighbors living around you, it's a great way to introduce yourself to them. Another thing is, all of you had uh, stacks of cards on your chairs when you came in today. Um, These are newly printed, hot off the, the press, okay? So what, what we want you to do is take these cards and keep them with you. Keep them in your purse, uh, your man purse, your wallet, your backpack, whatever, right? And when an opportunity arises, when somebody's like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm looking for a church, or do you know, do you know any, anybody who can counsel me, or do you know of any classes being offered for kids, or do you, do you know of a school around, do you know, right? Or, or if you just get to talking about this Jesus, you have something on hand, and you can say, hey, come, come join us at, at Trinity this Sunday. You're, you're, you're invited. I'll be there. I'll sit next to you, man. You, you won't be alone. So these cards allow us an opportunity to just say, oh, yeah, I go to Trinity Church, but actually say, here's an invitation. Come on. I'll, I'll meet you there. When we say we want to grow larger through evangelism, I can tell you for myself as campus pastor here in Monterey Park, my goal is not that we become a larger congregation so I can feel good, make a name for myself. I want to make something of Jesus in this community in this city, in San Gabriel Valley. I want more people to know this wonderful, beautiful, compelling Jesus Christ. What grows larger is the number of people moving closer to Jesus every day. And when that happens, we all get to celebrate. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for revealing this, this beautiful Jesus to us, this beautiful Christ. Lord, we, uh, we lift up our hearts to you today, Lord God, from wherever we are, whatever place we come to you in, Lord, we, we want to celebrate the wonderful Jesus that you are. Thank you so much for this high calling. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.